In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it reads the following. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is centuries before Mary would have this conception as a virgin and give birth to Jesus. Centuries beforehand, God is letting the nation of Judah know that they will be protected, they'll be okay, and the sign for that, which it would de definitely would be a sign and out of the ordinary, is that a virgin would be able to conceive, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That name Emmanuel means God with us. God with us, and it's a common name amongst Hispanics, right? Emmanuel, I'm sure each of us know at least one Emmanuel. However, this is talking about just the heart of God and the character of this baby that, were, that was to be born. Christmas is always such an interesting season. It's supposed to be the hap, hap, happiest season of all, and yet there are many who don't feel all that happy. There are many that during the season, there's difficulty, there's turmoil, there's stress, there's a hardness of heart. A few weeks ago, a lot of my kids and a few of my friends' kids were getting sick, and I joked around texting them saying, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Cold and flu season, right? And everybody gets sick back and forth. And it's not just parents that have a difficult time with their kids during the season. Many people report that their mental health is negatively affected during the season of Christmas, during this season of holidays. Perhaps it's the increased stress during the Christmas season. We're already choking on bills and on debt, and now we have to add on top of it purchasing presents and gifts for one another. The added traffic, the added stress at the grocery store, perhaps the added stress of finishing up the quarter at work can really build as we end the year. Trying to figure out the right gift for that special person. Trying to do 40 chess. Hey, is this person going to buy us a gift? Then I'll buy them a gift. But I don't know if they're going to buy us a gift. So let's have a backup gift just in case they get us a gift. And those added stresses. Perhaps it's relationship challenges. Whether it's a new relationship in your life or the death of a relationship. It can add all sorts of new expectations or visits to your Christmas season. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. We all have that one family member that we're not exactly excited to sit down in front of for three hours at Christmas dinner as they want to go over how Cuba could have been saved. <laughs> that, was, that was my Christmas season with my grandparents and my great-grandparents. That, that family member that wants to talk about politics, religion, your finances, or the all-too-famous why-are-you-still-single conversation at the Christmas table. Many also deal with a deeper anxiety during Christmas. There's many today within youth, young adults, and the adults alike that deal with social anxiety. And now you already deal with social anxiety, and now you're adding the stresses of being around a bunch of different people that you're not used to, or having to put together a party, or trying to enjoy food, while also not condemning yourself after you really enjoyed the food at the party. Perhaps you're that parent that's a perfectionist and you're struggling to create the perfect Christmas memory for your child and they didn't have their nap and they're blowing a fuse during the whole Christmas memory time. Finally, there's a great depression that falls upon many during the season. 
You can ask any first responder and they'll tell you that there is a spike in self-harm and suicide during the end of the year. Some point to the daylight savings and less sunlight. But perhaps it's the end of the year that causes people to evaluate themselves. And perhaps they didn't lose as much weight as they set off to in January or read as many books or do all that we hoped for. Perhaps there's unmet goals or unmet expectations, a season where we reflect and think back on the year, and many of us, we don't think about the good things that happened, we just consider all the loss and difficulty. I'm sure there are many of us this morning that we've lost a loved one, or we're losing our own health or independence, and that can really sink into us as the year closes and draw us into depression. There are many who are lonely, depressed, without purpose. And these difficulties lead us to becoming addicted to different substances, different entertainment, and different things. Maybe there are some here this morning who are even considering self-harm because we don't know what to do. There is an emptiness inside of us and we can't seem to fill it. There's this great hole, this great gap in us that seems like it can never be fulfilled. We can ask ourselves, what's the point? What's, the, what's my purpose? Why am I even still here? There's this age-old question, what is the purpose of mankind? Or what's my purpose? Somebody's birthday, hopefully it's Jesus' birthday, right? <laughs> There's the age-old question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And there's one age-old answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, our emptiness, loneliness, and depression can all be addressed by knowing Jesus Christ. By glorifying Jesus and enjoying Jesus forever. Our addictions, our lack of purpose, the temptation to hurt ourselves can all be solved by knowing Jesus in a more intimate way, by glorifying Him with our lives and enjoying Him as our dear friend each and every day. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 in the King James Version says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You, you see, friend, the Bible boldly declares that all things were created by Him, through Him, and for Him. We are created for His good pleasure. We are created for His purposes. We are created to know Him and be known by Him. And there's a few songwriters in the Bible that had this mindset and put it to pen and to ink. The psalmist in Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Perhaps you've come here this morning and you have that great thirst and you're trying to fill it with all sorts of things and it's just unquenchable. 
Know that that desire and longing is to know God and have friendship with Him. Psalm 73, verse 25 through 28, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Finally, Paul the Apostle, he had this desire and it was the chief desire of his life. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says that I may know him. That I may know him. Paul's greatest desire was to know God. Not know about God. Not be able to get all the answers right in Bible Jeopardy. Not to get every answer right or know facts about God. But to know him. Friend, we all have this deep longing to be with God. To know him. To simply dwell with him. Yet there are some of us just trying to drown out that longing for God with other vices. Other masters and other lovers. Others are simply not humble enough, not willing to humble themselves when they see it's too great a loss to draw near to a holy God. There's a desire in us to know people intimately. I'm sure there's at least one person in your life that you miss and you wish you could be with. And what you wish is not that you would know more facts about them. What you wish is that you could have five minutes to just sit down with them. And do nothing with them. This is what God desires for us. Not to know about him, but to know him and dwell with him. A.W. Tozer in his book entitled The Pursuit of God says the following. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. That they may enter into him. That they may delight in his presence. That they may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Our problem is that in our sin we have no way of reaching God. We have no ladder big enough, even right the little giant or whatever that ladder is called. It can't reach up to God. A.W. Tozer, he says, being made in the image of God, we have within us the capacity to know him. But in our sin, we lack the power. Our chief purpose, if you leave with anything here this morning, know that God desires to be with you and that our chief purpose is to be with him. And that's our chief purpose in life, to know God, to glorify Him, and to enjoy friendship with God. And many of us with our mental, physical, and moral issues, all of them would be solved if we would just press into God. If we would grow our relationship and friendship with Him. We are out of whack and out of alignment because we're not meeting our purpose or reason for being alive. And sadly, there are believers here this morning that are greatly neglecting their relationship with God. And that's why your life feels out of whack and you're at a loss. 
As Jesus told the church in Revelation 2.4, you've left your first love. But in and ourselves, in our own power, we have no way of getting to him. We have no way of initiating this friendship and relationship with God. Being here in Miami, I'm sure there's a few Dolphins fans. And for some of them, they may say their chief purpose in life is to be best friends with Tyreek Hill. Perhaps you have a few more gray hairs and you're a Dolphins fan and you can say your chief purpose in life is being best friends with Dan Marino or some other Dolphins player. Maybe for you, it's Elon Musk. Maybe for you, I don't know who, but your chief desire is to be best friends with Joe Biden and to just share a little bit of ice cream with him, right? You can fill in your favorite person, your, your favorite famous person. But ask yourself, how would we meet them? How in the world would we get there? How could we gain access to them and not be turned away? How many of us could really just walk into their home or walk into their work and be welcomed with open arms? Or how many of us, the police would immediately be called and we'd have a restraining order issued to us and we'd be on the news the following morning? Could we really just walk in and be welcomed? What in the world do we have in common with millionaires and billionaires and people that have so much power? How would we carry on the conversation? Why in the world would they ever want to talk to me? And why in the world would they ever desire to love me? And there's a great divide between us and these famous people, but how much greater is the divide between us and God himself? How much greater is the divide between us and the creator of everything we see and don't see? You see, we can look around and we see many people who are our peers. We see other people, two arms, two legs. They walk to church the same way we did. They came to church. They have similar clothes. They have similar family dynamics. God doesn't have this luxury. When God looks around, there is no one like him. He is creator and everything else is creation. He is God and everything else is not. He has no peers. Everything else is a lower life form than him. How could we meet God? How could we gain access to him and not be turned away? Where do we even begin to go and find him? I mean, if he was just on the moon, how many of us could actually get there? How can we find him? Would we even be welcomed to know him? Would we, would we be welcomed into his home or where he works? A lower life form like us? Many of us who've denied him, spoken ill of him, said cursed him. Would he welcome us into his home? How would we carry on a conversation with another being? Why would he ever want to talk to us? Much less, why in the world would he ever want to love us? And yet the Bible has the answer for all this. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it tells us that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7, it tells of the humility of Jesus Christ and the love he has for us. In verse 7, he says, he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
You see, to be able to rub shoulders with many of these famous people, we have to build ourselves up. We have to figure out a ladder to reach them. And how much greater is the ladder to reach God? And that's what every man-made religion is. A false ladder trying to reach whatever God they've fashioned in their own mind. But the God of the Bible is the only God that builds the ladder and lowers it from heaven down to us. He is that ladder and he invites us and says, I want to be with you. He's God with us. He steps down from heaven. He steps down from his omniscience, his omnipresence, and he becomes a little baby for us to save us from our sins and to make a way where we can come boldly to the throne as his sons and daughters. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. We can turn to Matthew chapter 1, and this is a much more famous Christmas text. If you're looking for a text to go through tomorrow morning with your family, you could go through this portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. You could also go through Luke chapter 2, some of the other first chapters in the Gospels. But here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 18 begins with this season of being betrothed to one another. And in this culture, arranged marriages was the norm. You would, get, you would become friends with another guy and say, hey, your kid's cute, your kid's well-behaved, you think your kid wants to marry my kid? And you would arrange it. You would set it up. And these betrothed marriages would go through three steps. Number one would be en engagement. This arrangement between parents would often happen when kids were three to four years old. You could be checking in your kids to kiddos ministry and, hey, that kid's pretty good, right? You want to do a little business here? And you would arrange their marriage. The next season would be betrothal. And it would be a year before they were going to be married, you would make this engagement legally binding. It would be to the point where a bill of divorce would have to be filled out if this engaged couple wanted to call it off. If the groom died, the bride would be considered a widowed virgin. During this year, you would have all the responsibility of being married without much of the blessings that we look forward to in marriage. And finally, you would have the marriage itself. After a year of betrothal, you would have this wedding day, and now the, the couple would be married, and they'll be able to enjoy sexual intimacy as God intended. However, there is one great problem in this young couple's engagement. Mary's pregnant. And she tells Joseph. How difficult would this be on Mary and Joseph? Sex before marriage is a sin and was heavily looked down upon this Eastern Jewish culture. I mean, how many of us would truly believe Mary's story? 
If one of the engaged couples at our church, if the bride started showing, would you really believe the couple if they said, oh, this little one belongs to the Holy Spirit? Let's be honest here. Adam Clark, he says, her situation was the most distressing and humiliating that can be conceived. Nothing but the fullest consciousness of her own integrity and the strongest confidence in God could have supported her in such a trying circumstance where her reputation, her honor, and even her life were at stake. You see, Deuteronomy says that if a man and woman were engaged and the woman was found with child and it wasn't of the man, she was to be dragged into the middle of the city and be stoned to death. Yet it tells us that Joseph, being a just man, did not want to make her a public example, but instead wanted to divorce her privately and secretly. What a man of love and kindness and grace. Imagine the hurt and the heartbreak for Joseph. Talk about being caught off guard or sucker punched during a season of love and excitement. The angel Gabriel called Mary the highly favored one. And if Mary was held in such high esteem in heaven, imagine Joseph's eyes. The high esteem he must have seen her. Imagine the most holy and special young girl you can think of and now picture her getting pregnant before marriage at 16 or 17 years old. What a punch to the gut. And yet Joseph, he wants to put her away privately. How many of the men here would you really believe your wife if this was her story? There's only one way a woman could get pregnant. We all know that. And yet it's the Holy Spirit. And even through all the heartbreak, through all the emotion, we see Joseph is a just and loving and virtuous man. He kept God's laws, but he wanted to be kind and loving. Joseph was hurt, but he didn't want to see Mary being killed or her blood being shed. He wanted to put her away privately, displaying the heart of God. Charles Spurgeon, he says, when we have to do a severe thing, Let us choose the tenderest manner. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. Such is the case with Joseph. And Joseph is such a very underrated and under-celebrated character in this history of Christmas. I mean, the wise men are celebrated. They get their own song. The shepherds, they get their own song. Every year we ask Mary, did you know or did you not know? We ask her every single year. Now, you guys like that joke. My, my wife, she's sick of the dad jokes with Mary, did you know, right? <laughs> a little drummer boy who's nowhere in Scripture gets his own solo. Santa is stalking us, running over our grandma and kissing our mom. But what about Joseph? What about Joseph? I had to look on the internet for a while, but I finally found an old hymn in the 1800s about Joseph, and it's entitled, Oh, how tender was the man. I think it's it's special. It says, Oh, how tender was the man chosen by the Lord to stand next to Mary, meek and mild, and the little promised child. Joseph was that tender man chosen by the Lord to stand. Joseph, so often we may think, from this scene must always shrink. But the word of God is clear. Joseph's part was very dear. Earthly fathers have their place showing heaven's caring face. Let us men like Joseph be serving God so faithfully. 
for this world will need to see what a father God will be. And just as Joseph played the part, so we too reveal God's own heart. You see, how many of us men would truly treat a wife or an engaged girl with such love and kindness and mercy? He, he encaptures 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy, it does not parade itself, and it is not puffed up. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. May we deal with the sins of others as Joseph dealt with Mary's perceived sin and as God has dealt with our own sin. May we dish out the same amount of mercy and grace that we've received. Back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we see Joseph, he's chewing on these things. He's pondering these things. And in verse 20, it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What a sigh of relief for Joseph, waking up knowing she's not lying. She's saying the truth. Joseph's thinking about his life. He's pondering his life. He finally passes out and an angel meets him in a dream. And the angel gives him a few points. Number one, the baby's of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the baby's going to be a boy. Number three, you are to name that boy Jesus. And number four, he is going to save his people from their sins. The question for us this afternoon is, do you want to be his people? Do you want to be associated with him? Because that's our only shot for being saved of our sins. There's no other way to be saved. There's only one name in which men can be saved, and it is the name Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a very common name at that time. It's our modern-day Joshua, which means salvation of Jehovah or Yahweh, or Jehovah the Savior. And this reveals to us the purpose of this little baby boy is to save his people from their sins. It's not to give us the American dream. It's not to save America. It's not to give us all the presents we're wishing for this season. It is to save us from our own sins. David Guzik, he says, he saves us first from the penalty of our sin. Then he frees us from the power of sin. And finally, he releases us from the presence of sin. The angel lets Joseph know the purpose of this little baby is to save his people from their sins. And Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is the first step in fulfilling our purpose for being alive. 
The first step in fulfilling our purpose in having a relationship with God is confessing that we are sinners and saying, God, what your word says, I agree with. We must confess that we're sinners. We must confess that I am a sinner. And if we're not willing to humble ourselves and take ownership of the truth of God's word that we are sinners, then sadly, friend, Jesus cannot save you. There in verse 23, we read this earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know his name is Jesus, Jesus Christ, not Emmanuel Christ. But this speaks of the character of Jesus Christ. It speaks to his deity, that he was 100% God and 100% man. That his identity and nearness to God was to be brought down to us to bring God to us and us to God. You see, none of us are good enough or special enough or holy enough to come God in and of ourselves. But Jesus came and is God with us. He's come and he's given us the ability to be near to him. We don't have to be fearful of him. We don't have to be afraid that we're going to be struck dead in an instant. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't need to allow the devil to question us and condemn us over and over and over again. He is God with us. Charles Spurgeon says, Then if Jesus Christ be God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. Whoever you may be, you need no priest, No intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced himself to you. And Jesus, he came into this world and introduced himself as a what? As a little baby. He introduced himself as a baby. He didn't come into this world as a conqueror or a philosopher or a king or a theologian or a billionaire. He came into this world as a baby. You see, if he came into this world as a king, then only those who deal with kings could have access to God. If he came as a conqueror, only those that have a chance of being near a conqueror and not being put to death would have a chance of being near to God. If he came as a philosopher, a theologian, only those of a high IQ would have a chance of being near to him. But he's come as a baby. And have you ever noticed how we lower our guards with babies and small children? I saw some of you watching the kids up here. You're lowering your guards. You're dancing with them, right? Making faces, laughing. And with the smaller the baby gets, the more we lower our guard. Some of you, not all, you grab a baby's foot and you start smelling it. Start saying you're a cannibal and you're going to eat the poor little thing. And you lower your guard completely. A, a baby you've never met. Parents you've never met in the grocery store. You start making silly faces in the aisles. You start joking with them. We lower our guard. And this is God's desire for us. To lower our guard, drop down those walls, and be honest and real with him. Friend, have you lowered your guard with Jesus Christ? Have you been real with him? Have you been honest with him? Have you told him what's going on, your, your heartache, your heartbreak, your anger, your resentment? Have you lowered your guard and just been honest with him? 
You see, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's been said the only person crazy enough to bother a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is his own son or daughter. And that's the blessing God gives us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And just as Mary and Joseph got to experience such closeness with Jesus... Such intimacy with that little baby as he grew up. So God desires that we experience the same closeness and nearness to him and then some. Because they got Jesus for 33 years. We get to have Jesus for all of eternity. Not just a baby, not just as a man going around the country, but someone who lives in our own heart. Luke chapter 10, verse 21, we see Jesus rejoicing and thanking the Father, saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you've revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. We don't have to build ourselves up to try to reach God. We don't have to prop a ladder up or try to pad our resume. We don't have to try to get wiser and more prudent and smarter and smarter. No, it's the very opposite. The way we get to know Jesus more is by humbling ourselves to the meanest and lowliest state. It's so simple and we just repeat the process over and over again. Declare that you're a sinner. Declare that Jesus is the Son of God. And accept his forgiveness for your sins and walk humbly with him. And we just repeat that process over and over again for the rest of our lives. Lord, forgive me. I sinned. I blew it again. Lord, you, you forgive me. You love me. You are who you say you are. Lord, I accept that forgiveness and I walk humbly with you. Sadly, there are many of us that the moment we get saved, we think, job well done. It's all good. We can move on. But I love what Tozer says in that book, The Pursuit of God. This is, however, not the end, but the inception. For now begins the glorious pursuit. The heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead. This is where we begin, I say. But where we stop, no man has yet discovered. For there is an awful and mysterious depth of the triune God with no limit and no end. A believer, if you're here and you realize you've just put the brakes, you've just parked and you think that's it, I can't go any deeper, I pray that you would wake up and realize we have so much deeper and more intimate that we can get with our Lord God. God wills that we should push on into his presence and live there our whole entire life. You see, God with us was not just during the time of Isaiah or King Ahaz in the book of Isaiah. God with us is not just during the time of Jesus being born. God with us is not just when we get saved, but God with us is for every single day for the rest of our lives. Every single day for the rest of eternity. Every single day in every trial and every need and every high and in every low. We can declare God with us. 
He says this all over the Old Testament. To Abram taking a huge step of faith, he tells him, I will be with you. To Jacob, who was afraid of returning home, he said, I will be with you. To Moses, who was leading two million people, a brand new nation through the wilderness, he said, I will go with you. To Joshua, who was fearful of this new role in life, trying to fill in big shoes, he tells him, I will be with you. And to Gideon, a man so fearful, he's hiding in the cave and is called to defeat that same enemy. God tells him, I will be with you. And it's peppered all over scripture. In the book of Daniel, there's three young men who are thrown into a fire for their obedience to God. And in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this death penalty, the king who's thrown them in there says, I see four men walking around in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. God was with them. In the trial, in the storm. He's not just with us during Christmas season. Isaiah 43 verse 2 tells us, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. In one interesting case of this text, it's said to a king, Jeroboam, who's in the middle of his sin. Perhaps you're here and you're far from God. You're in the middle of sin. The Lord tells you the same thing as in 1 Kings 11 verse 38. It shall be if you heed all that I command you. If you walk in my ways. If you do what is right in my sight. If you keep my statutes and my commandments as David did. Then I will be with you. And I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David. It's still God's chief desire to be with us today. Whether we're in sin, whether we're in a trial, or whether we've never been nearer to God. His desire is to be God with us. Adam Clark says he is God with us to comfort us, to enlighten us, to protect us, and even defend us. In every time of temptation, in every time of trial, in the hour of death, in the day of judgment, and God with us and in us, and we with him and in him to all eternity. One famous scripture is Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God with us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, the gospel of Matthew is so interesting because in the first chapter it says, God with us. And you know what Jesus' final message to his disciples is in Matthew 28 verse 20? Jesus' message to each and every one of us here this afternoon. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let each and every one of us draw near to God, knowing that he promises to draw near to us. Let us give him thanks and glorify Jesus Christ this Christmas and every day after that. Thanking him for coming down to us when we had no chance 
of ever going up to him. We'll close with this last quote, Charles Spurgeon. He says, John Wesley died with that upon his tongue. And let us live with it upon our own hearts. The best of all is God with us. The best of all is that God desires to be with us. So hey, worship team, if you guys would come up. Family, let's all stand and I encourage you, perhaps you've never felt closer to God and you want to pray with someone, I encourage you, come up front. Perhaps you've never felt further than you are today from the Lord God. I encourage you, come up front, pray with one of the pastors. Know that it is God's desire to be with you, to know you, and for you to know him. So Lord, we just thank you for this morning, this afternoon. God, we thank you for this season and how it encourages us, Lord. It, it draws us back to your word to consider what's the true meaning of this season. And, and Lord, I pray that we would take time out, Lord, to be that example to our friends and family to remind ourselves the whole reason and the whole point of this season, Lord. May we embrace the wonder and the miracles that are declared in this season that you would be willing to humble yourself, step down and out of heaven, Lord, and become a baby to live and die and resurrect for us.